The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Doug Bursch, and you are listening to the Wednesday edition of the Fairly Spiritual Show. Okay, on today's show, I'm going to delve into something that has just bothered me, perplexed me. This is what I wrestle with God about probably every Sunday, every time I preach, every time I interact with anyone about their lives, the condition of their life. Why don't people apologize? Why don't we repent? Why don't we turn or change course when things aren't going well? We're going to look at that today and really struggle with the issue of repentance. So glad you could join me for today's fairly spiritual show. Uh, I hope you survived election night. I don't know if your guy won or your woman won, but hey, God is still on the throne, so we move forward. Uh, so we all say stupid things. Well, maybe I just say stupid things, but there's there's one thing I like to say. I say it as a habit. I'll say, can I be honest with you or let me be really honest? And of course, that makes it sound like most of the time I'm lying. But what I mean by, let me be honest with you, or can I be really honest with you? I think what I mean by that is I'm going to be unfiltered. I'm going to talk about something that people don't normally talk about, or something that you sometimes just hide because people might take it the wrong way, or you just don't talk about it in polite company. Well, on today's show, I'm going to address the things that we don't talk about in polite company. Uh, I, I think I do that on a lot of the shows, but I, I want to address many issues that just I struggle with as a pastor, particularly when it comes to the issue of repentance, and not just repentance, and I don't want you to just think repentance as someone's done something terrible and they're refusing to admit to it. I'm just going to talk about the whole issue of change and transformation and admitting that you have a problem or that you need to grow the fact that in ministry, this has been one of the things that has greatly challenged me. I've noticed that people, for the most part, are reluctant to admit that they need to change. That we really do stay the same. That we spend most of the time acting pretty much the same way most of our life. That we really don't have experiences of radical change in our lives. And I'm going to look at times when people do actually embrace change, and I just kind of want to process it with you uh, through this show, and I'd like you to process it as well. Uh, by the way, uh, I have a phone number that you can text me on, so as you're listening to something, if there's something I say and you're interested in engaging uh, with me on this, you can text me. The number is 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. So if there's something I say and you and you want to give your feedback, just text it. Uh, the show isn't live right now, so I might not get to your text right away. But text me, 360-818-4513. Of course, you can go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org as well, and find more information about what we do here. And you can certainly find ways to purchase my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. 
But I want to talk about the issue of why are, I, I, I don't want to limit this, but this is just going to be a series of maybe laments. <laughs> I don't quite know where it's going to go. I've written down several things, areas where I'm just, I don't get it. I don't understand. And hopefully by the end here, we can have some understanding of how to move forward. And hopefully my prayer is that maybe someone listening today might embrace the miracle of repentance. By the way, if you're nervous about that, that I just said someone might embrace the miracle of repentance and you're nervous and you don't want to listen any further and you're like, I don't know about this, then I guarantee you that you need to repent about something. So I'm just going to throw that out there for you. Uh, This makes me think of a story. I was in a pastor's group. I love pastors. Again, pastors are as different as the people on the earth. So there's some terrible pastors and there's some good pastors. But I love pastors. I enjoy ministering with pastors and to pastors. And I was in a pastor's group. But sometimes some pastor's groups are not that transparent. Uh, Pastors just sometimes have a difficult time uh, being honest uh, honest sounds like we're a bunch of liars, but just being transparent. They're they're so used to kind of people taking their faults and using it against them that they just don't know how to be transparent. It's not that they're trying to hide themselves. They're just in this mode of hiding that they don't even realize. And so we were in this pastor's group where I had noticed during our prayer time that the prayers were pretty weak. They were lame, lame prayer request. The praying was great. Yeah, we prayed for God's authority and God's kingdom to come. But when we had prayer requests, they were pretty weak. And the fact that it was a bunch of pastors, it was a safe room. And instead of us really bringing prayer requests about the true hurts of ministry, the true problems of ministry, the struggles that we were going through, they were kind of, uh, I don't know, just very weak prayer requests. Now, I tend to be a pretty unfiltered person. And so, I would bring up prayer requests. I'm the kind of person that if my wife and I have been fighting during the week, and if someone said, Doug, what would you like prayer for? I would say something like, I'd like prayer for my marriage. My wife and I have been fighting a lot lately. Now, when I say that, that's not some sort of tip of the iceberg. Oh my goodness, they're going to get a divorce. We better rescue them kind of prayer request. That is just a literal This is what is going on in our life prayer request. It's the kind of thing where if my wife is next to me, she'd shake her head and say, yes, we need prayer for that. We've been fighting this week. To me, that's just what you do. You just bring your life into the open. But I I noticed in that group when I would say something like, I need prayer. My wife and I have been fighting a bit lately that people would look at you like, oh my goodness, are they going to make it? (laughs) Is this going to end in divorce? And and I I got tired of being the one that I felt like was giving the honest prayer request, and others were just sharing these things like, well, we've got an outreach on Saturday, and you know, I'd like prayer that that goes well. So uh, one week it was, you know, let's give our prayer request at the end of the meeting, and I was like, you know what? I am not giving a prayer request. I'm just not doing it. I'm tired of putting myself out there. I'm just going to have somebody else do this. I don't know if that was a godly response, but it was the response I had. And uh, so we gather together, and there's this older gentleman in the room, and he suddenly has this really, like, uh, deep, concerned look on his face. And he says, I I have a request. And then he pauses, and he goes, I have a burden. And he kind of shakes his head and looks down at the floor. He goes, I have a burden. 
I have a burden. I'm like, what do you have a burden for? Is it a burden for the fact that maybe you have some severe marital problems? Maybe you have a burden for the fact that one of your kids is not following the Lord. I know in this room there's real issues. Maybe Is there drug addiction in your family? Uh, what's going on? What do you have a burden for? Is there a, an extreme health issue going on? What is the burden that you have that has caused you to just look so, so much in pain in this room? And he goes, I have a burden, a burden for souls. Now, I'm sorry. I'm, this, this probably makes me look just as bad as anyone else in the room. But when he said, I have a burden for souls, I was so irritated. I was so frustrated. And this is what we did. We were like, oh, Brother so-and-so has a burden for souls. So we all gathered around him and laid hands on him and prayed for his burden of souls. And I'll just tell you, I did not lay hands on him. I just stood back and I was like, of course, we all have burdens for souls. We all want people to be reached. And I, I don't know. Maybe he did. I, I'm not saying he didn't have a burden for souls. I'm not saying we shouldn't have prayed for his burden for souls. But maybe first we should have prayed for the fact that in that room, I know there were parents where their kids were estranged from them. I know in that room there were people where their marriages were not good and their families were not good and their churches were struggling and they needed prayer support. But for some reason, there's something that happens in our church cultures where we don't deal with the problems of our lives. I've noticed this in my own church, and, and whenever I bring up weaknesses, I, I find this on Twitter as well. You can follow me at Twitter. My handle is at Fairly Spiritual. Whenever I bring up weaknesses, there's some people who unite and understand, and others just start trying to solve my problems. They're immediately, well, you should have done this, and you should have done that, and that's really not helpful. Unless someone says, hey, solve my problems, that's not probably why they're expressing what's going on in their life. But, uh, you know, I've noticed in, in, in the church context that I, I go to the altar. I, we have an altar. We have the altar's just the front of the room. I mean, it could be anywhere, but just I like to go and kneel at the altar and pray and have people pray, praying for me. That's important for me to receive prayer. I do that to hear from the Lord, to have people pray over me, to pray over my life, to pray when I'm struggling. It's not just when my life's falling apart. It's just a way that I'm encouraged. But I've noticed that I've ministered to people for years, and no matter what's going on in their life, they will not receive prayer. They will never come and kneel before the Lord. They just won't. No matter what's falling apart, no matter how bad things are, no matter, everything could be collapsing around them, and they will not kneel for prayer. They'll tell me, oh, pastor, we love, you know, what God is doing in your life, and we love your sermons, but we won't kneel. I'm going to talk about why won't we kneel? Why won't we repent? Why won't we receive help? Why won't we change when we return? More to come. Hey, I so much appreciate you listening to this show. I'm being pretty transparent today. And transparency-wise, I need to ask you for help. We have a radio show on Fridays. For it to stay on the air, we need at least $100 given every week. And we're not receiving that right now. So to keep the show on the air, we need some people to donate. If you donate, maybe you don't have $100 to give, but $25 would make a world of difference. Go to fairlyspiritual.org and donate today. 
You can also find out ways to pick up my book. I'd also love to hear feedback from you. You can text me at 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. Thank you for supporting this ministry. Okay, so we're talking today about why don't people repent? Why don't people turn? Why don't people receive prayer? Why don't we receive help? Before the break there, I was looking at the fact that I go to the altar all the time to receive prayer. I tell the church, this is how I receive comfort and strength. And and people will praise me in the sense they'll say, boy, we appreciate your insights, Pastor. And we appreciate you as a man of God and, and the fruit of the Spirit in you. And I will tell them this comes through having people pray for me. This comes through kneeling and, and surrendering to God. And yet the same people who receive from me will not receive from that altar. It's almost like I'm, I'm some sort of fruit tree, and they'll come and they'll pick the fruit from me, but they won't go to the place that is required for them to be fruitful as well. And it's not that I'm some special fruit tree. Anyone who kneels and surrenders and receives from the hands of God will produce fruit. But for me, I've found that fruit is only produced when I surrender myself. When I kneel, when I repent, when I receive prayer and care from other people. But why? Why why don't we repent? Why don't we receive help? Why? Why do we allow things to get so bad? Why do we defend our actions to the point of just absurdity? So I just wrote down some things here, and I think I'm going to offend some people. So if I do, you know, you can look at me and say, Doug, you know, this is about you. You need to repent, and you need to stop defending things. And okay, like, I got to stand before the Lord here, too. Maybe maybe in the end, we're just going to be like, wow, this is crazy. Doug Doug should be repenting, and I should be repenting. I don't know. I'm just going to, I'm going to be unfiltered here and talk about the world as I see it. And honestly, I, I, I would stop preaching if I could facilitate an environment where people repented. I, I wouldn't do another podcast if I could find a way to help people to turn, to just stop and say, I, I just got to stop doing this. I, I, I can't parent this way anymore. This marriage can't be this way anymore. I can't be the husband I am or the wife I am or the friend I am. I have to learn to apologize. I have to stop blaming everyone else. How many conversations am I going to have where I blame everybody else but myself? How many months am I going to go without genuinely just saying I'm sorry? How long am I going to attend this church without ever kneeling and repenting? How long am I going to justify this broken parenting? My kids hate me, and I'm still defending it. My wife doesn't love me, and I'm still defending myself. My husband doesn't want to have anything to do with me, and I'm still defending the way I'm treating him. My, You understand these hypotheticals that I'm expressing are not hypotheticals. We have people right now, I know I have people who listen to my radio show who, are, who, who their, their, their kids don't love them. Their kids can't even stand to be with them. This is like, there's older, we have, there's elderly people who listen to my radio show who their grown kids can't stand to be with them. They have hardly any relationship with them or any relationship with their grandkids, any relationship with their family. They're just stuck in their ways with this disconnectedness and they're spending all their energy on 
fighting political agendas and contending for the kingdom of God through politics, and they're thinking they're doing something of value when everything that's been entrusted to their care is broken. And yet if I were to come to them and say, you have to change course, you have to stop doing this, what you're doing isn't working, they would look at me and be greatly offended. In fact, they are right now as I say these words. They're saying, how dare you? And I would say, why would you keep doing the same thing? You can't blame every one of your kids. You can't blame every one of your grandkids. You can't blame the whole world for the fruit of your life. And even if they are at fault, you'd still want to do something different because what you're doing is not producing the fruit that is bringing any goodness into your life. Even just where you're spending your energy, is that the best use of your energy? But we won't even stop and consider any of, the, any of these things. But you see this. I was seeing how we just defend things into chaos. I, I think we've seen this politically in the last couple of years. We've seen people just defend immoral people to a level of extreme chaos that we won't stop. We won't halfway through something go, you know... I can't support that leader anymore. That person is a compulsive liar. I can't, I was wrong. You know, in the beginning, I thought I was right. But the more I know about this person, I can't support them anymore. We don't see that in Christians. We don't see Christians being able to, somewhere along the line, to stop and say, enough is enough. You know, I, now that I have more information, now that I prayed some more, I realize I can no longer support that. Instead of repenting, instead of stopping, instead of assessing the new information, we just defend and defend and defend and justify and justify to more and more absurd, extreme Extremeness, where we literally put ourselves into these extreme, absurd corners where we defend compulsive liars and defend antichrist spirits. I've seen this with how people will defend immoral pastors. You'll see this in churches where a pastor is clearly behaving in an immoral manner, in, a, in an abusive manner, and, and maybe in the beginning, Things were okay, but as the pastor begins to work in an abusive manner and more and more extreme and more and more abusive, instead of, again, people being willing to stop and say, with this new information, with this new understanding, as I pray, I, I realize I have to repent. I have to realize I was wrong. I have to admit that first I thought it was one thing, but now I realize it's another. Instead of being able to repent, apologize, to use the new information, to say you're wrong, we justify to an extreme level and we defend abusive and terrible pastors. We do this in abusive situations. You see this in families where people defend abusers and they defend harmful people. Everyone gets caught defending the wrong person. Everyone's going to do wrong things, but what's happened to us, it's one thing to defend an abuser for a season, but then when more information comes out, then we realize we were wrong. We were deceived. We didn't understand. We were naive. We were, we were led into the lie. But something happens within so many of us where we cannot admit that we are wrong, and we defend and we defend and we defend, even though we have more and more new information. There are people defending ministries that you can't defend anymore. That ministry needs to repent. We're defending theological expressions that you can't defend anymore, but we keep defending it because we defended it when we were 20, so we're going to defend it when we're 40, and we're going to defend it when we're 60. 
There's people that we defended when we were 20 and we're going to defend when we're 40, but that person has pursued a path that is not righteous and we cannot continue to defend unrighteous behavior. When we refuse to recognize abuse or when we refuse to recognize harm or when we refuse to recognize depravity, it harms us and it harms others. I think about one of the things with the Me Too movement is that look at all the people who had to come out for people to believe that someone was an abuser. How many people who had to tell their terrible stories for people to believe that Harvey Weinstein was an abusive person. It just shows you the level of denial we have as individuals and as a society. And you find this when there's a beloved person, when there's someone we put up on a pedestal, when there's a, a famous actor or a famous politician or a famous celebrity or a famous pastor or a beloved family member, and we hear something terrible about them, we don't want to believe it's true. And so literally they had to have, you know, three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten uh, other people also say, this happened to me, for us to turn our, our view of an individual and say, well, maybe that person is not doing good things. Maybe that person shouldn't be allowed to be an actor anymore in any area, or a teacher, or a pastor. Why don't we admit to wrong in ourselves and wrong in others? So much of our life, we refuse to look at our lives. It's more than just a refusal to repent. There's a refusal to look at what is motivating our lives, and and I just wanted today's show to be even just, just kind of big picture, just kind of all over the place. These are the confusions within me. When I look at social media, one of the things I realize is so much of the contentiousness that's going on in social media has a lot to do with uh, family issues. I've noticed, for instance, with a lot of progressive Christians, if you look at some of the progressive Christians who are championing their causes, many of them come out of extreme far-right, conservative, legalistic backgrounds. And often, the way they're fighting is not just about their new political or religious agendas. It's the fact that they're just fighting against how they were treated by their parents. It's really crazy. You look at some of the Christian progressives, and, and many of the leading Christian progressive voices are people who came out of far-right, conservative, Christian backgrounds. And what they're doing is they're reacting against that. They're reacting against their dad, who was the leader of a far-right conservative Christian movement, or their parents, who were the leader of a far-right Christian conservative movement. Which really makes these progressive movements part of those far-right conservative movements. It's just a, an, an offshoot. It's a reaction to. It's, they're not their own thing. They're not this pure kind of thing. They're really just a reaction to that. And why I'm saying that is I'm, I'm not belittling whatever agendas either of those groups have, but so much of what's happening within these groups is a contentiousness that's not about the ideologies that they're talking about. It's about the anger and the hurt and the legalism and the control and the frustrations and the abuse that occurred within those families as they were all together under one roof. 
And sometimes we're not willing to deal with that reality that so much of what we're doing as we're talking about politicians, as we're talking about certain positions and certain, you know, what's going on in the world, that what we're really doing is we're trying to reconcile the hurt we feel towards our parents or towards the church we grew up in. We're not able to stop and say, you know, I, I left a legalistic church, but now there's a new kind of legalism in me. And now I'm just a, a, a progressive legalist versus a conservative legalist. I got a new agenda and I got new politics, but I'm still angry and upset and I don't know why. And now, you know, when I was younger, we rejected that group. And now I'm rejecting the group that rejected that group. And my parents, when I grew up with them, you know, we, we rejected other people. And then my parents rejected me. And now I'm rejecting the ideologies that my parents have. And so it's rejection based on rejection based on rejection. And it's amazing how we can't just stop. We can't just stop and say, hey, maybe this is not motivated by ideology as much as it is motivated by relational hurt. Or maybe it is just as much motivated by relational hurt as it is by ideology. Or maybe at least let's heal the relational wounds before we try to champion our political agendas. There's so much hurt. There's so much woundedness, but we can't admit to it. We can't admit to that. We can't say, the reason I'm so angry right now is not just because that politician did that. I'm angry because that reminds me of what my parents did to me. We can't just say, I'm angry about that position because that position is wrong or immoral, but I'm angry about that position because it reminds me of the way my mother rejected me. It reminds me of how my church rejected me. It brings up the unresolved conflict that is within me. And by the way, I can see that in other people, but guess who I have a difficult time seeing it in? I have a difficult time seeing it in myself. I've just noticed as a pastor that people have such a difficult time ever seeing their true faults, their true weaknesses, their fatal flaws. You know, the fatal flaw. The fatal flaw is the flaw that everyone else sees in you, but you don't see in yourself. And it seems to me the only times we really turn or repent is when everything has fallen apart. We repent when, you know, we've maybe when everyone's left us. Like people will turn and really look at their life and really have radical changes in their worldview at the moment of a divorce or a relationship, you know, relational abandonment. Or we'll turn at complete financial hardship, you know, where we've lost everything and we end up homeless or on the street. Or, or we'll turn at the point of addiction where we've lost all our relationships and the addiction has taken over and we realize that we're at this place of complete dependency. Or people will turn when they're sick and they might die and everything around them means meaningless. At those points where they've lost everything, then sometimes... They're willing to truly change, to truly lay their lives at the foot of the cross and say, search my heart, know my ways, and if there be any wicked way in me, Lord, deal with it. I don't, I don't want to carry anything forward. But I've found unless those things happen, people pretty much justify their lives. They justify their politics. They justify their theology. They justify their attitudes. They justify the ways they treat one another and the ways they respond to the world. 
you know, I like to use this illustration. When I believe or when I think about God's grace, we're not on the edges of God's grace. The cross, the cross says this, that you and I are on the center of God's grace. If God's grace were a giant circle that, ex- that went out as far as existence could go, just think of a circle that you're standing in the middle of that went out as far as existence could go. Just think of God's grace as a circle that goes out as far as existence can go. You are in the center of that circle. That's where you abide because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You're not on the edges of God's grace and that you're just going to fall out if you do something wrong. Because you're in the center of God's grace, then you can ask God to search your heart and your mind and just to see if there's ways in you that are not conformed to the image of Christ. You can do that freely because there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. I think there's someone listening right now that needs to learn to apologize. And I think that's more important than anything. You're focusing on everything else. You're focusing in on what people aren't doing for you. And and you're just keeping records of everyone else's wrongs and, and all the slights and how people are treating you. And you're just outward, 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 outward focused. And the Lord's saying, I want to do a work with your heart. It's your heart I want to deal with. To learn how to apologize in your friendships, in your relationships, to repent before God, to repent before others, to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, to your congregants. There's pastors who need to stand before your church and repent. Just repent, say, I'm sorry, forgive me. There's congregants that need to repent to their pastors. These situations are as unique as the area, so I, I don't need you to text me and say, well, my pastor's a jerk and he needs to repent. I mean, God knows these issues. But the reality is, every single one of us, there are areas that God wants to work in our heart. There are times I've had to stand before the church and just repent, just repent, say, I, I'm, I'm sorry, the way I just spoke to you was wrong. If you can't remember repenting to the people you love, if you can't remember apologizing to the people you love, then you're not right with God. And someone here needs to learn to apologize, to learn to repent. You need to maybe admit that you don't know what you're doing. That the way you're being as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, it's broken. As a grandparent, it's broken. You just have to stop justifying. You spend every day going after other people and maybe you spend all your time on social media crusading against what other people are doing wrong and, and the Lord's like, you know, just set that down for a second. We got to work on you. I love you. You're in the center of my grace. I love you, but you, you, you're broken. You're not growing. You've got work. There's work to be done. You don't, you don't know how to do stuff. There's stuff you don't know how to do. You don't know how to be as a human. There's areas you don't know how to, you, You've tried hard, but you don't know how to do it. You came from a family that didn't know how to do it. And so you reacted against that, but your reaction against that isn't working either. The Lord wants to help you. 
He wants to help you in every area of your life. Maybe a miracle could occur through this show. Maybe, maybe someone could embrace the miracle of repentance without everything falling apart, without being terminally ill, without being addicted and on the street. Just today, right now, in your house, you could just be like, or in your car, or as you're walking along, be like, you know what? I'm going to admit that I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to allow the Lord to help me start over. I'm going to let God help me start over. That's what I'm looking at in my life. I don't want to just justify my life. I certainly don't want to justify things that harm myself and harm others. Lord, help us to see. Lord, help us to understand that even when we don't see, it is your grace that sustains us from beginning to end. Amen. Hey, I so much appreciate you listening to today's show. Uh, If you want to give some feedback, feel free to text me. The number is 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. Again, uh, if you want the show to stay on the air on the radio on Fridays, then please donate. Go to fairlyspiritual.org and you can donate today. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. Let's advance a better dialogue in this frequently bitter world. I'll see you next time. Nothing